Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Going to come back to the near side, pick six. Let's see that cut off the way, Jack Jones. Make it to Hunter, lofted towards the end zone. Hello and welcome back to Pacific Point of View. I'm Tyler Budge, and this is the Friday Flow, a new show we're going to be trying out on Pacific Point of View, a shorter show that's going to come out every Friday um, with our main show. But instead of all three of us being present, it's just going to be one of us. And so I'm here kicking off the first ever show. Got some very exciting stuff to talk about with you guys. Uh, We're going to go over the budge system. You've probably never heard of it, but you'll learn soon enough. We're going to talk about Bengal Branson and DJ Uyunglele, some interesting news coming from Oregon State. I'll probably touch on more Oregon State news with this one. Uh, We've got to talk about why I dislike power rankings. I think power rankings are dumb, and I'm going to tell you exactly why. James Franklin, I think. I've got some thoughts about him because I think very often, so we'll get to that. Some stadiums I would love to go to. I've got a bucket list of stadiums, and I'm going to throw them out there. Uh, Which conferences are off to the best start? in this offseason, or which conferences I think will be the best in 2023. And then, of course, I'm going to be talking a little bit about the group of five and kind of the spot they're in because I feel like it's an underrated aspect of this season that not a lot of people have talked about. And so uh, I'll also be, I've got a live chat going. I'm live on TikTok right now, so I uh, might be answering some questions from there sporadically throughout the show. I don't know. We'll just kind of get a feel for it. So let's just jump right into it. First off, we've got the budge system. And so some of you may be asking, what on earth is the budge system? Because it sounds dumb. You've never heard of it. Well, the budge system is basically a rating system that I recently developed because I said, you know what? I am tired of looking at these other rating systems, SP plus and all these, all these other ones where the guys just say, oh, trust me, I'm using these analytics. So I decided, you know what? I'm going to make one where it's my thoughts, what what I think is most valuable. And so just to give you guys kind of an idea of the measurables I have in this system, it's returning production, SP, SP plus rating, transfer rating, roster talent, uh, their ranking overall, head coach impact. And uh, I pretty much combined all those numbers together and uh, weighted them differently based on how I um, feel each thing factors in, and we have the results here. So let's talk about the budget system. Where are some of the surprising ratings? Obviously, number one is Georgia. 
Uh, Georgia, number one, 86.3 in the budget score. Honestly, if Georgia was not number one, I would have just scrapped the whole thing and restarted because let's be real, at this point, Georgia should be the top dogs going into next season back-to-back national title winners. So Georgia, number one, each team has a budget score that can go as high as 100 and it can go as low as the negatives. And honestly, the floor is limitless. It's just about how bad you are. I mean, you want to talk about what the floor is right now. The worst team in the budget system is... At 133, Western Michigan with a score of negative 9.4. So it's also a really easy, tangible way for me to start to formulate an opinion on teams I haven't thought about a ton, like Western Michigan. Um, So we look at the top. You've got Georgia in first, 86.3. Bama is just behind them at 86 even. So Bama, Georgia, top two, no surprise there. But let's talk about some of the big surprises. Excuse me. Uh, The big surprise is Auburn. Auburn is all the way up at 14th. 14th in the budge score ratings and I implemented a control in the budge score to kind of balance things out to where it doesn't get too outlandish away from the truth and I I wanted to see what these ratings ratings would look like if I took out the control I took out the control and Auburn rises all the way to four or to eighth from 14th to eighth so the budge system is saying Auburn is potentially a top 10 team and I mean, I just think that's out. I think it's outrageous to say they're a top ten team this year. However, I do think the potential is there with Auburn. You bring in a guy like Hugh Freeze that knows how to win in the SEC, and you bring the influx of talent and the talent that was existing on that roster. Certainly intriguing. And seeing them that high, I'm not going to lie, it's making me think about some things. It's making me think about potentially putting Auburn in a preseason ranking, but. That's neither here nor there. We've also got Texas and USC, both in the top five. Texas at 83, USC at 82.7. This shouldn't be a surprise. Talent-rich programs like these two um, are typically rated higher just in rating systems in general. That's just how it works. And so wasn't a huge surprise. And I like the fact that there's a gap between them and the top three, which are Georgia, Bama, Michigan. I I like that. The model at least took that into account. Uh, Florida State and Clemson, neck and neck. Florida State cranked out a score of 82.4, Clemson 82.3. It's insane how much similar this was to some of the other rating systems I see where they have Clemson and Florida State neck and neck and Florida State just above Clemson. So the ACC is going to be between those two this year. Unless something absolutely outrageous happens like Jeff Brom and and Louisville come out of nowhere or, I don't know, Pitt puts together a nice season with Phil Yurkovich. Uh, it should be between those two, and, and that's what the budge system seems to think as well. So that's the budge system. If you have any more questions about it, I actually have it linked in all my socials. So you could go to uh, TikTok at CF Budge. You could go to Instagram at CF underscore Budge because CF Budge was taken on there. And uh, I, I often plug that on there, and I, I think there's a lot of good content to come out of having a rating system. So for that reason, I'm grateful for it. But let's go ahead and jump forward and talk about Ben Golbranson. I mean, you lead off Ben Golbranson at the start of the show. Nobody bats an eye. But then you mentioned DJ Uyunglele. Everyone wants to know what your take is. And and it's something that I've been very vocal about on my TikTok. But I, I briefly mentioned it on Pacific Point of View. And I'm just going to retread my thoughts. I think Ben Golbranson was thrown into the flames last season. And because of that, his stats are misleading. They look horrible. And it's because he was completely thrown into the His first real snaps on a college football field were on the road versus a top 10 team and the eventual Pac-12 champion Utah throwing against future NFL cornerbacks. And he actually wasn't completely horrendous in that game, but he, he had just not flattering stats at all. 
That's the point. But his quarterback rating was decent, and you look at some of the throws he was making, and you look at some of the upside he showed, it's pretty impressive. And you also look at DJ Uyunglele's concerning inconsistencies. And I honestly, I look at him at Clemson, and I say, man, was it really like an offensive coordinator that was holding him back? Because he had such a good system around him that I just feel like it's not an improvement for him at Oregon State. It's not an upgrade at any position. You could argue maybe offensive line, but talent-wise, there's there was more talent around him at Clemson. So if you're going to come here and try to convince me that Uyunglele is just going to look better at Oregon State just because of a change of scenery, in fact, the talent around him getting worse, it, it, it's just going to you're going to have trouble selling that to me. But the note I wanted to talk about is from the first spring practice, uh, spring scrimmage, I should say. They did their first spring scrimmage. Um, ben Branson led two touchdown drives, including a 35 to 40 yard fade route to Josiah Irish. And DJ Uyunglele did not lead a touchdown drive, did not score a touchdown. So take that as you will. Still very early, the first spring scrimmage. Obviously, I think Bengal Branson was going to get those first team reps no matter what. And he did split reps with Uyunglele. Um, but that honestly goes to Gold Branson's credit because it means they were both playing with the same weapons and one of them scored, the other one didn't. So definitely take it with a grain of salt for now. But I'm just saying that's not nothing. That is not nothing, and that is certainly something to keep an eye on, especially if you are an Oregon State fan like myself. So just don't forget about Ben Goldbranson's name. A lot of people nationally try to pretend like they don't know who he is, or maybe they just don't know who he is. It's all DJ Uyunglele is what they think. In fact, a lot of people, the only Oregon State player they can probably name is DJ Uyunglele because outside of that, I mean, Damian Martinez isn't a household name yet. He was fantastic as a freshman, but you ask somebody on the East Coast, they won't know who that is. So keep an eye and remember Ben Goldbranson. Uh, power rankings are very stupid. Power rankings and not even necessarily just power rankings, but rankings in general in the offseason, I think they are they're stupid. And this is why I think they're stupid because often somebody will just expect you to go out there and they say, give us your power ranking, give us your power ranking. So you rank them. I rank the SEC, right? And I've, I'm putting all these teams in a row. And then let's say Florida comes out at 13th. I'm going to have Florida fans instantly coming at me saying, you think we're 13th? That's a horrible take. You're terrible or whatever. And then let's say Florida finishes 9th in the SEC. People are going to come back at me and say, oh, wow, you're an idiot for putting Florida down at 13th. They finished 9th. They made you look stupid. But in many cases, I would say, oh, I actually saw the upside on Florida. And people say, no, look at where you ranked them. And so I, I just don't think it takes as much skill just to rank teams in a row. Anyone can put out a ranking and be dumb and just get something right. Anyone can do that. What I think requires a lot more skill and what I tend to lean a little bit heavier into is actually giving an analysis on the team. Don't just throw them in an order. Don't just rate them, rank them 1 through 12 or whatever, although that's what get, gets uh, clicks, unfortunately, on social media. But if, if you were to come out and say, hey, the Florida Gators are going to have a phenomenal offense this year. They're going to struggle on defense. This is hypothetical. This isn't what I actually think about Florida. But say they're going to struggle on offense. They're going to have a phenomenal defense. If they win games this season, it'll be because their defense. And then they come out and they win some games and they go 8-4 and four because of their defense. That analysis is worth much more than any rating or ranking, I think, could ever be worth. Because it's just all about if you're able to accurately determine where the team's ceiling and floor is, 
then that I just think that should be worth a lot more than just putting them on a ranking and hoping that the scenario of the season plays out well. Like for Arkansas this last year, Arkansas went six and six, and you could have been a very educated college football fan and said they were going to go nine and three and finish like what fifth in the SEC, and you could have in your analysis said, oh yeah, if KJ Jefferson gets hurt, it's going to be a long year. In which case, Arkansas finishing that low wouldn't have been a knock against your analysis skills because you acknowledge if Jefferson's hurt for most of the year, they're going to struggle. And that's exactly what happens to Arkansas. KJ Jefferson goes down and they struggle on a tough schedule. So I think a lot of the times there's just not enough nuanced uh, takes out there. There's just more ranking teams in a row. And I've definitely been a uh, contributor to that. I'm not going to pretend that I haven't been. I've, I've rated, I've ranked all 133 teams for spring rankings. And it does give other people receipts, but but like I said, it's what gets engagement. It's what get, gets uh, clicks. So that's what I do. But that's why I don't like power rankings. Let's go ahead and transition to the Penn State head coach, James Franklin. Uh, for some reason, something that is, it's just been irking me. I, I've just needed to talk about it. James Franklin always, always catches unnecessary strays, especially when I'm hyping him up as a coach. And I say, yeah, James Franklin's a great coach. It'll be something as simple as that. People will just say, he's not a great coach. He's never made the playoff. He's not a great coach. He doesn't, he doesn't beat Ohio State every year. He can't beat Michigan. You know, and I see a take like that. And it just, it just really bothers me because it's, James Franklin is a phenomenal coach and people underrate to both of the head coaching jobs that he has done uh, just ridiculously underrate them. And I just I just need people to put this in context. James Franklin was winning nine games a season at Vanderbilt. He had back-to-back nine-win seasons and top 25 finishes at Vanderbilt, which hadn't been done since, like, the 80s before he got there. In fact, I don't even think they had made a bowl game since the 80s. And since... They've had one bowl season since he left. So it wasn't any particular climate that just magically allowed him. No, it was him. It was James Franklin because he is him. Back-to-back nine and four seasons, Vanderbilt was out there beating Tennessee, Kentucky, Florida, Georgia. Those are the teams they were beating. You say that nowadays, if you said, hey, uh, Vanderbilt's going to beat Tennessee, Florida, and Georgia this year, people would call you insane. And Georgia obviously wasn't at the height of their prominence, but any time Vanderbilt is beating those programs, I mean, that's ridiculous. I don't know of many coaches, if any, in college football that are capable of winning those games at Vanderbilt. And then he goes to Penn State, and people love to slander him at Penn State because they say Penn State is a blue blood program. There's a lot of money infused in that program. He should be taking them to the same heights as Ohio State and Michigan. But you look at how marred Penn State was when he took over. He took over a hobbled, crippled program. You know what other program was also hobbled around the same time or whatever? Uh, two programs were, were hobbled around the same time from sanctions as Penn State? USC and Tennessee. So let's compare. Tennessee has gone through, what, three coaches since 2011? And they finally found the right guy in Josh Heupel, which is great, but it wasn't easy to take them back. USC? Gosh, I think they went through three coaches as well. They went through Sark, they went through Hel- or, uh, Helton, and then they went through Lincoln Riley. So you've got both those teams who can't find a coach all that time, and UFC, USC has made two New Year's Six Bowls. Tennessee has made one now in that last stretch. Penn State, under James Franklin, three. Never had to let go of them. 
So you want to look at the job James Franklin did at Penn State, and you want to say that you're slandering him because it's a blue blood and he should be doing more? Well, he did better than the other blue bloods in virtually the same position as him, and arguably better position um, when you look at Tennessee. So I just think that trying to discredit Franklin for what he's done at Tennessee or at, at Penn State is just ridiculous. And to say, oh, wow, he doesn't have a great record against Michigan and Ohio State, yeah, those programs were already built up, and they already existed in that manner. You could argue that Harbaugh came and built Michigan up in the middle of Franklin being there, but that just speaks volumes how good Harbaugh is. It's possible for Harbaugh to be better than James Franklin and James Franklin to still be an elite head coach. Okay, I don't want to hear anyone saying Ryan Day is better than James Franklin. Ryan Day has not even sniffed the type of production that James Franklin has had as a head coach. But moving on, just another rant for myself. Uh, let's do something a little more lighthearted. Um, I've been to nine college football stadiums in my college football fandom. Um, I've been to Autzen Stadium, Reitzer Stadium, both the uh, the Oregon school stadiums. I've been to the Rose Bowl. I've been to Daryl K. Royal in Texas. I've been to both Arizona stadiums. Uh, I went to the UNLV Stadium and Vegas Allegiant Stadium. I mean, it's 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 several teams play there, and. Uh, I wonder if I'm missing any. I don't know. I've, I've been to nine, but you, you get the idea. Uh, there's more stadiums that I would like to go to. I'm not going to stop at nine. I would like to go to more stadiums. And so here's just a list of a few stadiums that, that I would want to go to if I had my way. I mentioned, I think, one of these on the main Pacific Point of View show, but I'd really like to get a chance to kind of kind of elaborate on some of the ones I'd like to go to. Husky Stadium is the one I mentioned before. I want to go to a night game in Seattle. I want to do the thing that people dread to do. Um, Oregon State's lost in Seattle a lot of years in a row. It's something ridiculous. It might be approaching 10. And I just think that that's a crazy environment and a very unique stadium. So I'd love to go there. Um, we've got Williams-Brice Stadium. Williams-Brice Stadium, home of the South Carolina Gamecocks. Probably not a stadium that you've heard a ton about. But that stadium gets rowdy, man. And especially at the end of this last season... Um, yeah, williams Bryce top-notch at night, especially. Uh, it's just a place I really want to go. It just looks like it is rocking, and it just looks like an awesome stadium to be at. So I'd really love to go there. One I actually forgot to write down, um, Lane Stadium, I think is what it's called, the one Virginia Tech plays plays at. Um, enter Sandman. I, I would love to experience that firsthand. Sadly, they haven't been very good or relevant nationally in a while, but we'll see if uh, Brent Pry can get something out of them. Uh, I've been recently informed I've been mispronouncing this. I've been calling it Neyland Stadium, and it's pronounced Nayland Stadium, Tennessee Stadium. I really like the uh, checkered Nayland that they do. Um, I would love to go there sometime, and especially after watching the spectacle that was them tearing down the goalposts after upsetting Alabama and storming the field. That was freaking awesome. So to experience anything even close to that degree I think would be really really sick and so that's why they're on the list as well the horseshoe and you know I might as well group these two together the horseshoe and the big house uh, two huge big 10 venues that, that just are packed so frequently and just look really really dope so I would just love to go to one of those games um, at one of those stadiums and uh, I'll give a shout out to the to the Death Valleys as well Clemson Death Valley LSU Death Valley it certainly would be welcome if I went to any of those if, if I had to pick one that was the most realistic that I'm probably gonna hit next it would probably be Husky Stadium all those other ones are like near the East Coast maybe maybe Tennessee is somewhat doable 
Um, but more realistically, it'll probably be another Texas stadium before anything else, if I'm being real with myself. But that's it. Those are a little few uh, bucket list stadiums that I've got kind of floating around there. Um, but let's continue. Let's talk about um, which conferences are going to be the best in 2023. We've had a bit of an ebb and flow of conferences, and the group of five um, has been affected by some realignment in many ways, more ways than just one. And so there's kind of a different look and a different feel for a lot of these conferences. And so we talk about who's who's going to be in, in the worst spot. And, and I tell you what, number 10 for me is the easiest one to fill out. And number 10 for me is going to be the CUSA. The CUSA has always kind of been near that bottom tier um, in conferences. And it's just because the CUSA is the most welcoming of FCS teams to, to come up. They kind of almost brand themselves as some a sort of transition conference for some teams. Just a conference where you can ease yourself into the sort of just FBS level. And so they, they actually got massacred pretty hard. Um, as they often do. They've had teams, so many teams have played in the CUSA. So I believe they lost North Texas, UTSA, UAB, Rice. They might have even lost Louisiana Tech this season. So they're they're definite 10 out of the 10 conferences for me. And they bring in Jacksonville State and Sam Houston State, both teams with definitely some potential, I think some years down the line. However, in their current existence it's just those aren't going to be great teams and then i mean you look at who's going to contend in this conference you got western kentucky middle tennessee um actually i think fau went to the american too they they lost a lot a lot of programs so it's going to be it's going to be a test charlotte got an influx of transfers so there's a chance that they could uh uh, i'm going to look up just so i know i know that middle tennessee was close to leaving the cua there was a point where it didn't look like the CUSA was going to continue. So actually, it was Charlotte, UAB, FAU, North Texas, Rice, and UTSA. So Louisiana Tech hung around there. So maybe they could contend in this new look CUSA. But that's a CUSA. That's why I think they're at 10. At 9, I think this is where we see uh, the MAC, or what I would put the MAC. So the MAC conference, uh, I mean, they were really, really bad this last year. I, who ended up winning the conference was a four-loss uh, Toledo team. Uh, just just a weird conference, man. And then Toledo ended up losing their bowl game. Uh, it really comes down. It's been coming down to Ohio, Miami of Ohio, Toledo over these last couple of years. There's just nothing that stands out to this conference. And it's funny because the MAC has remained relatively untouched by realignment, and you just see a lot of the same teams in there. So kudos to the MAC for holding all their members together. And honestly, if you talk about brands at the Group of Five level, I think that the MAC conference has one of the best brands out there, to be honest, because Maction, you've got Tuesday night games, you've got the people hammering the over on those games. A lot of eyes are on the Mac in points of the season where other group of five conferences just aren't getting the love. And I mean, if you were talking about brand last year, it would probably be American and then arguably I would say Mac or Sunbelt because you have kind of the fun belt mentality and there's some Sunbelt teams that get a lot of attention but I mean now that the American lost four or three of their marquee teams the Mac is arguably one of the biggest brands just from a skill level standpoint I don't think the Mac can compete with these other conferences and uh, next I'm going to put it eight I'm going to put the Mountain West and the Mountain West is typically a conference that I give a lot of respect to 
But this last season, they were so underwhelming and so mediocre to bad that it is just hard for me to trust this team. Boise State is not who they once were. Uh, Fresno State's going to lose Jay Kaner. We'll see what Tedford can do there. Wyoming has been consistent, but they've never been able to break through. Utah State was very underwhelming under Blake Anderson. Uh, San Diego State and San Jose State, very mid this last year, even though some people thought they could do great things. UNLV, really, really weird firing their coach Arroyo after a five and seven year. Hawaii's still rebuilding. So uh, Air Force, Air Force is a team I should shout out. They've been, they've been a consistently 9-10 win team, which has been very impressive as well. But I just say overall for the Mountain West, they're just not what they once were. It used to be you had two to three teams that were battling for rankings in there. But it's weird. They haven't lost a lot in the last half decade, and yet they, they've kind of fallen off as a conference, um, which kind of ties into a larger trend. And I was going to save this for later, but I might as well just address it now. The, the group of five, I think, is in the, the weakest position they've been in, in really in their group of five's history. Losing Cincy, Central Florida, and Houston to the Power Five, that leaves only three teams that have made the New Year's Six in the in the college football playoff era. That's Boise State, Memphis, and Tulane. Tulane, I mean, flash in the pan season. Coming off a 2-10 and ten year, they make a New Year's Six Bowl out of nowhere. Willie Fritz is rumored to all these other jobs. Pretty sure he hasn't gotten an extension or anything. I think it's kind of a foregone conclusion that Fritz is taking another job, if not this offseason, in the near future. Memphis, Memphis was the last team, one of the other teams that made a New Year's Six Bowl. Uh, they lost Mike Norvell almost immediately to Florida State. And so Memphis has had Ryan Silverfield. He's kind of, he hasn't been able to keep him at the New Year's Six level, that's for sure, but he's kept them afloat. Um, so he, they, him getting poached is not gonna, even going to happen because he's not good enough. And then Boise State, Chris Peterson, Brian Harson, Dan Hawkins, the last three great coaches they had, all of them poached to the Power Five. So even with these other teams, when they have a guy that comes up and is building their program, they just get poached. And Boise State under Andy Avalos, it's just it just doesn't feel the same as those other teams. They're just not quite at that level. So the group of five is in a tough spot. But uh, at number seven, uh, <clears throat> this is going to be the Sun Belt now. So Sun Belt is going to be uh, very similar to last season. You, I think they did add a few teams. There might have been some shuffling around. But you've got James Madison. You've got Coastal Carolina. You've got App State. You've got Marshall. Uh, Troy, South Alabama coming off a great year. So there's a lot of good energy around the Sun Belt, and I think that you can expect the Sun Belt, Fun Belt, to have a few teams in the New Year's Six picture for most of the season. Definitely James Madison, possibly Coastal Carolina. They lost their coach, Jamie Cat Chadwell, so we'll see. But Troy and South Alabama should be well in that picture. And, and look out for a team like Louisiana Monroe or a team like Georgia State. There's a lot of teams that are kind of lower in the tier of uh, the Sun Belt that definitely have a little bit more potential than some people realize. And uh, that brings us to the best team in the group of five, and I think it's still the American. And it's because the American just instantly turned and said, all right, we're just going to take all the CUSA's best teams. And they did that. And so the American is certainly not as good as they used to be. The American was getting scarily close to the ACC, in my opinion. Uh, but getting getting their teams poached like that, it just hurts them. So you're you're down to their top branded teams are probably going to be UTSA, Tulane, SMU, Memphis, and maybe East Carolina. 
maybe South Florida if they can get their their uh, act together there. So those are going to be the top teams left in the American, but I think they're definitely still that next tier uh, just below the Power Five and kind of like a, a buffer between the Power Five and Group and Five. When they implement the 12-team playoff where the sixth highest-rated co- conference champion gets in, it's very often going to be an American conference team, in my opinion, just like we saw with uh, the New Year's Six Bowls. And then let's get to number five. Number five's got to be the ACC, in my opinion. ACC, you've got Clemson, Florida State. Two teams practically guaranteed to be top 25 headed in the next season. Who else is there? Exactly. Uh, maybe Pitt. Maybe North Carolina. Maybe Louisville. Maybe NC State. Maybe Duke. Maybe if you're a complete sicko, Miami or Wake Forest. I, I, there's just not a lot of guaranteed top 25 teams here. And we very well could reach the end of next season. And Clemson and Florida State are the only ranked teams Maybe one team from the Coastal gets ranked just because they beat up. But the, but the divisions are gone this year, actually, which is the intriguing part. So you might end up with just Clemson, Florida State playing each other for a second time for the conference title at the end of the year. Uh, somebody needs to step up. There's definitely some teams that can. I've got my eyes on Louisville. I've got my eyes on Pitt. I've got my eyes on maybe North Carolina. I'm not sure how much I trust them anymore. But definitely some teams you can maybe put your faith in. But... Overall, for the ACC, easily fifth for me and right now. Um, but then let's talk about who's at fourth. Uh, fourth might surprise some people. Most people would have the Pac-12 right here. I'm going to put the Big 12. I think TCU, last season was awesome. That was an awesome season, awesome coaching job by Sonny Dykes. There is no way. <laughs> there is no way that they replicate that. Uh, Kansas State's going to be great. Kansas State's going to be great. They're probably going to be ranked. Texas, they're going to be great too. I think that they're going to be better than people think. I think Oklahoma's going to be great. Rank Oklahoma. I think Texas Tech could be a top 25 caliber team. However, if you're asking me to find you a playoff contender out of the Big 12, they're going to have six good teams, and any of those six good teams could lose to the other six good teams. I'm just seeing a rinse and repeat of last year. TCU last year somehow managed to rise above all those mid teams and not mid, but you know, good teams in that, that middle tier. I just don't see another team doing that again this year. So I don't see the big 12 getting a playoff team out of that. I just see them basically beating each other up and don't sleep on Kansas. Don't sleep on Iowa state. Don't you dare sleep on Baylor or Oklahoma state. Like they're still this ridiculous. The big 12 is ridiculous. West Virginia in danger of being a doormat team. And I mean, let's not forget about the new newbies. Cincy, UCF, Houston, BYU. I mean, I could see Cincy or Central Florida climbing into the top 25. Maybe not Houston or BYU, but definitely a lot of variables in the Big 12. Uh, Some people forget the Big 12 is expanding next year. Do people realize that? Some people don't know that they're going to be at 14 with their newcomers. But let's talk about number three. It's going to be the Pac-12. Pac-12 is number three, and the Pac-12 is number three because they have roughly the same dynamic as the Big 12. I think like six teams that could be ranked or will be in that tier, but I just think everyone's just a little bit of a step higher, and I think that a lot of these teams improved in the offseason, and everyone's going to talk about Oregon State and Oregon and Washington and USC and UCLA and Utah. Those are the big name teams that are going to be in the top 25. Some of the teams that improved that I don't think enough people are talking about. I mean, obviously, Colorado is one of them, and people have been talking about But ASU? 
Arizona, Washington State. I think all those teams improved this offseason. And I could see scenarios where all those teams make a little run this year, where maybe they start 6-1 and one or 7-2 and two and jump into that top 25. I, I think this conference is going to be very fun to watch. And definitely, you know, to the detriment of being a Beavers fan, I'd rather have everybody else have gotten worse, which would have helped. But definitely going to be a fun one to watch. So keep an eye on the Pac-12 this year, as always. Number two is going to be the Big Ten. And I look, I think the Big Ten was the fourth best Power Five conference this last year. And it's because they had three ranked teams. Everybody else was mid to bad. I think the Big Ten is going to have a huge bounce back year this year. I think Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, you'll see them back in the playoff picture. And then I think Fickle can instantly turn around Wisconsin. I think Purdue and Ryan Walters are going to be a decent squad. I think Maryland is going to make a huge leap this year with Talia. I think Michigan State could have a good year. Rutgers, I wouldn't count out from making a bowl game, maybe jumping to seven wins. Illinois, losing their defensive coordinator hurts. I actually think they're going to be one of the biggest regressors in the Big Ten. But definitely Iowa, Minnesota, Nebraska, all teams capable of having very good years. In fact, you can pretty much chalk up Minnesota to at least a seven-win season and at most a 10-win season next year because that's just what they do under P.J. Fleck. So Big Ten easily in second for me um, out of those guys. And then number one is the SEC. And the SEC, I just think that they're in a really good position as far as teams that are going to be in a top tier next year. And it's because you have Georgia and you have Bama, and those have been the constants. And then you have Tennessee, who has introduced themselves. And then you have LSU, who introduced themselves last year, first year under Brian Kelly. And you look at the teams that struggled. They addressed it in a big way. Auburn brings in Hugh Freeze. Last year going into the season, Auburn wasn't a threat with Brian Harson. They weren't a threat. Texas A&M, that was horrible. They bring in Bobby Petrino. Uh, they're a threat now. Arkansas, there's no way they have the same injury luck they had last year where everyone was injured. Kentucky brings in Devin Leary. We'll see if their their offensive line can protect him. South Carolina says, oh, hey, by the way, we're better than we were last year and uh, rips off some insane wins at the end of the year. Billy Napier's in his second year at Florida. Missouri made some insane strides. Vanderbilt was winning road SEC games late in the year last year. Mississippi State with Zach Arnett, huge question mark. No idea what's going to happen over there. Ole Miss with Lane Kiffin can never count them out ever. So I just listed, let me let me count, everyone, all 14 SEC teams you've got to watch out for. And it's Vanderbilt ha- managed to get themselves off the mat. And they're still at the bottom, but they've gotten themselves up. And, and it just felt like Vandy had just been completely knocked out for a while. But Clark Lee, how about the job he's done over there? Great job. He's brought... Vanderbilt back to some relevance and to the point where people are going to pick Vandy to win some games this year which is exciting for their program because most years people just chalk them up to 0-8 in conference play and then they just got to figure it out so that's where I am on each conference right now hopefully I mentioned your team at least briefly uh, while going through there and that is about it for the Friday flow so if you tuned in thanks for listening and uh, I'm looking forward to handing off next week's Friday flow to could be Hayden, could be Colt. We'll see. But I will see you guys on Wednesday. Pick six.